0: But I want to pick back up today and look back into our Names of God study as we are getting to know our Lord in a new way, in the way that he's revealed himself through the revelations that he's given us in his word. And I want to go back and pick up a few. Just the last couple of weeks, we looked at El Olam a couple of weeks ago about that eternal God, the one he's kind of like that. Everlasting Energizer Bunny type thing that's always working on our behalf continuously, um, never tiring, never spent. Last time I was with you, we talked about Yahweh Rophe or Ropheka, the Lord who heals us. And he wants us to be whole in body, soul, and spirit We talked about how he delivers rhema words that are pertinent for us, and those are the words that we cling to and we stand upon for our healing because he is the Lord who heals us. Today, I want to move forward, and we're going to be in Exodus 31 as far as our beginning reading. We're going to cover several scriptures also in the New Testament during the course of this lesson. But we're going to start out with Exodus 31. And here, I want to talk to you about one that we don't always hear about, and it's Yahweh Kadash. And it is the Lord who sanctifies us. And I want to read in Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 'Speak Speak also to the children of Israel, and saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among the people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord." Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So in this passage, he tells us about himself, and he, he calls himself the Lord who sanctifies you. And it's in the context of this concept called Sabbath rest. He is giving us a new revelation of his covenant relationship with us. And I believe what the Sabbath rest is talking about, first of all, we know that The Jews observe a Sabbath still to this day and always have. And man, it was created, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he never needed to rest. It wasn't that he created the earth in six days and then was tired and needed to rest. But he set apart the Sabbath day for rest for man. He is the one that has an ever abundant amount of energy, but we don't. We have to rest sometimes. So he has appointed a time of rest for us. But what it symbolically really references and speaks to is the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Not just for salvation, He didn't finish the work on the cross just to save us. But also, we learned last time, as as part of our healing. Healing is provided in the atonement as well. He wants us whole. He wants the whole person healed. But it's also for this thing we call sanctification. And we believe in sanctification. We believe in holiness. The purpose for the Sabbath rest, God identifies right here in Exodus that we just read, and he says that it is to know that it is the Lord who does the work of sanctifying us. The reason that we we don't do any work on that day is because God did the completed work. God wants us to find rest for our souls and be refreshed in remembering his finished work. So that's part of the reason He gave us the Sabbath. Physically, our bodies need to rest, but we also need to rest and remember what He has done for us through the finished work of the cross. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that keeps us and sanctifies us. So let's talk about what this means. So, what is sanctification? Well, the Hebrew word here is kadash, which is where we have Yahweh kadash, the Lord who sanctifies us. And it's similar to kadosh, which is holy, the word for holy. But kadash means to make or pronounce clean. It's to pronounce or set something apart, separate it from all the rest for a special purpose. It is talking about to dedicate something, to set it apart as sacred or to devote it. In this case, he's talking about setting aside one day a week as a Sabbath that's dedicated to focusing on rest and on remembering the Lord and his finished rest for us. So this word kadash is talking about being separate from the rest, being devoted, being dedicated The first time it's used in Scripture is in Genesis 2, 3, where God sanctified the seventh day, set it apart from all the rest of the week so that it would be used for his special purpose. And then later in Exodus and Leviticus, he's now telling his people that he sanctifies them also. He sets them apart. So he's saying, I am the one who sets you apart as dedicated to me. I set you apart for my special purpose. I am the one who pronounces you clean and devoted to me. It's interesting when you come to the New Testament that the word for the church is the Greek word ekklesia, ekklesia. And it literally means the called out ones, the ones who were called out from among the rest as a separate people to God. And remember also, when we look at Yahweh being the Lord who sanctifies us, Yahweh speaks of a God of continuous action. He's a verb. He's continuously acting. I am. The I am is the verb. I am always, continually, never ceasing to sanctify you. And you can rest because of my finished work on the cross, which includes your sanctification. So, if God is saying, I am the one who sanctifies you, does that mean that we don't have any responsibility or actions to take? Is it all just this grace? Today we have this concept of grace that is floated around and that is taught that is skewed because it has this idea that, well, Christ did it all on the cross so I can live any way I want and grace covers everything. And that's not biblical. That's not what the scriptures say. I call that a greasy grace or a gospel of grease, not a gospel of grace. The true grace is the grace that does save us by faith. We are told that in Ephesians, and we'll read that in a moment. But it is not a gospel of Greece. And we're going to see that as we go through here. So what is grace biblically? Next, I want to go to Titus chapter 2, because Paul here defines it very well. Beginning in verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. Paul says, for the grace of God that brings salvation, that's the grace we're talking about, the same grace that saves us, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So in there, he's talking about what this grace really is and it is a saving grace yes it brings salvation to us praise god for grace because grace is that unmerited favor we didn't deserve to be saved but god saved us anyway but it doesn't stop there grace is also a teaching grace according to paul's definition here so it teaches us teaches us several things to deny ungodliness so who is Paul saying we'll do that? Is that God or is that us? It's us, right? Denying worldliness. Who's going to do that? God or us? Us. We are to live soberly. Is that God's responsibility or ours? It's ours. We are to live righteously. We are to live godly. So Paul is telling us here that we also have a responsibility to cooperate with this teaching grace. It teaches us how to live when in this present age. In other words, in the life that we're living right now, today, our lifestyle should be one where we are cooperating with the grace of God that is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly now in this life. So the true grace of God is the same grace that saved us, but now it is teaching us how to live. Through true grace, we not only are saved, but we are also going to be and are being sanctified. True grace teaches us that God expects us to live a life of holiness and godliness in Christ. The difference is we do not do it in our own strength, and we do not do it alone. Rather, Yahweh, our God, does it for us and in us, and through us. It's a cooperative thing. We are work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 8. And Joseph, you can put the image up now. Thank you. In Romans chapter 8, I want to read verses 1 through 5. There is therefore now no condemnation, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the thing according to the flesh excuse me set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit so in here in Romans 8 this context is in Romans 6 through 8 And I know some of you have been through Brother Todd and and them study on, on the book of Romans. And Romans 1 through 5 deals with justification by faith alone. But Romans 6 through 8 deals with this thing we call sanctification. And God is telling us in Romans 6 through 8, you reckon your body dead to sin. You reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. And other things like that are found in Romans 6 through 8. So it's in this context of what we call sanctification that Paul delivers this word. And he says, he says here in verse in chapter 8, he is speaking of the person who is in Christ and is not walking according to the flesh, but that person who is walking in cooperation and, and desiring to walk in cooperation and according to the Holy Spirit, pleasing to God. For that person, verse 2 applies, And it's talking about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the law of sin and death. All right. The best way I ever heard this described is this that I'm fixing to share with you, this example and this image. What you see up there are two planes. You see one that's on the ground and one that's in the air. I heard, I believe it was John Bevere teach this and I've always remembered it and I've always used it for this scripture there's nothing else I can think of that's better to describe this in the physical world that we live in and I don't know a lot about physics but I do know this there is there's a law of gravity right and the law of gravity holds everything to the ground right and if you jump or if you throw a ball up or whatever it's coming down right Because there is a law of gravity that pulls it down. But the reason a plane can fly in the air is because of what's called the law of lift. Okay? The law of lift does what? It supersedes the law of gravity. That's what Paul is talking about here. The law of gravity is like that sin nature that holds you, that holds you in bondage, that holds you trapped to something. And that thing will hold you down unless the law of lift is in operation. And that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why a plane can fly and not crash. Now that pilot, you can board that plane and it can sit on that tarmac all day long. And it's never going to fly anywhere until that pilot connects with the law of lift and begins to cooperate with the law of lift by turning on the engine and by starting up whatever stuff they start up. I'm not an aviator, so I don't know. But they got work to do. they got to cooperate, and they've got to prepare that plane, and they've got to get that plane moving And when they do things under the law of lift, that plane's coming off the ground because there's a superseding law. That is what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. There is a superseding law that supersedes and overcomes the law of sin and death. And that is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it makes us free from that pull. And from that, it breaks that power. So that's what God is talking about here through Paul in this verse in Romans. The law of lift overcomes the power of gravity. So yes, Yahweh is the one who sanctifies us. But he does it through teaching us grace through his teaching grace and the work of his Holy Spirit in concert with our cooperation and our obedience. Now, it's a beautiful joy that we can rest in the fact that he provided the way for us to do this. He's provided the law of lift. He's provided that superseding law. We just have to connect with it, and we have to cooperate with it. That's our part. It's interesting when you look at the temple and the tabernacle, when God gave instructions for them, there were seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. We're going to do a study on the tabernacle later in the summer in my class on Wednesday nights. But the tabernacle had specific pieces of furniture in it. And one of those was called the laver. And it was located in the outer courtyard between the altar of burnt offering and the temple proper or the tabernacle proper which had the holy place and the most holy place in it and the rest of the articles were in there and this laver what it was for was for the priests so that they could daily and sometimes several times a day cleanse themselves cleanse their hands and their feet as they would serve in the temple and in the tabernacle, their hands and their feet would get dirty. They had to serve barefoot. And they had to um, work with the sacrifices and different things. So they might be making the meal offerings and their hands are all dusty from all the flour and things that they had to deal with. Or they might be slaying the lambs and the bulls and all of that. And their hands are bloody and dirty. So God provided a laver for daily cleansing. And he has done the same thing for the church. In the New Testament, it is called the washing of the water of the word. It is the word of God that sanctifies us. Because we also are a royal priesthood according to Peter. We serve in God's house, in God's temple here. And God has provided a way for us daily Many times a day, if necessary, to be continually cleansed through the washing of the word. It is through this grace and work of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will always work in conjunction with God's word. He will never work against that. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, 1, he talks about how he actually gives a quote from the Old Testament, Paul does. And he speaks of how God said in the Old Testament, come out from among them and be separate. And that's what we're talking about today. And then in 7:1, Paul makes it applicable to the church today because he says, therefore cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the mind and spirit. So that's our part, our cooperation. We see it all through the scriptures. Let's look at Ephesians 5 verse 25 through 27. And in this passage, it starts off dealing with the husbands and and wives. It's talking about the husbands and wives. And in this particular verse, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish so god is saying here i'm i've called you out you're the called out ones why because i want to present you to myself you're my bride i love you i want to have a love relationship with you so i've called you out from among them and i've provided the way for you to be cleansed and it's through the washing of the water of the word. Christ did the finished work. But we allow his spirit to wash us continually through his word in cooperation with that. And it's talking about that Rama word again. I love how you, you notice in scripture when it's talking about the logos versus the Rama, And that Rama word is that specific word for that need for that moment. For instance, and this is just one example out of many that we can give, if someone had been bound by alcohol, the Rama word for that person might be Ephesians 5.18 that says, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit of God. And so that might be that rhema word that a person needs to take heart in and take hold of and cooperate with by being filled with the Spirit. Instead of being intoxicated with the things of the world, they would become intoxicated or filled with God's Spirit and under His power and under His influence. By hiding this word in a person's heart, they can overcome... That law of gravity, that law of sin and death that was holding them to the ground. And they can then soar with God, and they can be an overcomer, and they can be victorious. The Holy Spirit makes application to each of our lives. That's just one example. But it's kind of like going to the doctor, right? You're sick. You go to the doctor. He diagnoses your condition, and then he does what? He gives you a prescription, right? And you've got to fill the prescription. And then you've got to take it in order to get better. He's done his part. He provided it. He wrote it out for you. Told you exactly what to do. And if you cooperate with him, then you get better. If you don't take the medicine, guess what? You don't get better. It's just that simple. It's the same thing with God. He's given us our exes In his word, he's given us prescriptions here on how we live a holy life to him, a life that is called out, a life that is separate, a life that is pleasing to him. And if we follow his prescription, we will have a blessed life and we will be pleasing to him and we will be able to hear him say, well done on that day. We have a part to play in it. He does his part. And then we do our part, and it's in cooperation. I want to read you, as we draw near to closing, I want to read you this excerpt that I just wrote from my own daily notes from February. Sanctification is a process, but it's also a cooperative process. God sets the limits and gives the Rx, telling us exactly what to do to get healthy and stay spiritually healthy then we must fill his prescription and then take it. We have to do what he says to get well and live well. This is Yahweh Kadash. Yes, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his Holy Spirit is now at work to sanctify believers through the washing of the water of the word in our daily lives because he has separated us out. To bring us to himself. He brought us out to bring us in. When God brought out the children of Israel from Egypt, he brought them out of that slavery and bondage to bring them in to himself. Into a special relationship with him as their God and king. That was his purpose. And we just read in Ephesians, it's the same purpose for the church. Ephesians 5 just told us that he brings us out, why? To present us to himself, a glorious bride, without any spot or wrinkle or blemish. God wants us to himself. He wants us to have a love relationship with him. But in order to do that, we must be holy. I'll never forget when I was reading, I believe it's in Peter. I I didn't look that one up, I apologize, but I believe it's in Peter. And he quotes the Old Testament that says, Be holy, for I am holy. And I'll never forget one day I was reading that, and I did not, I felt the Spirit of God just impress on me this not so much as a command, Be holy, for I am holy, but as an invitation. Because if we want to be close to the Lord, He is holy. He is the Holy One. And he will not become unholy to fellowship with us. The only way we can enter his presence is to be holy as he is holy. Because he wants to have a relationship with us. So he's inviting us in. But that requires something on our part. It requires us to connect with the law of lift and overcoming sin and death. By allowing his Holy Spirit through his word to sanctify us because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. I want to leave you with two final scriptures here. One is in John 17 and I want to read, um, I believe it's beginning in verse 9. Jesus is praying. This is his high priestly prayer. And he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, the called out ones. These are the ones he's praying for here. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. I use that scripture a lot of times, and I'll pray that over my children and my grandchildren. Keep, Lord, keep. Through your name, those whom you have given me. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I've kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. In other words, I'm not praying. I'm praying that you will give them the law of lift so that they'll be kept from the power of the law of gravity, so to speak. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here he goes. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So even here, Jesus identifies that he is sanctifying us and God is doing a work of sanctification in us through his word that is the truth. And the last scripture I want to read to you is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to read verse 23 through 24 as our closing prayer for this lesson. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Yahweh Kadash will sanctify us through his word. Father, I thank you for this word in Jesus' name. And we say yes and amen to your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen.